But I think one of the greatest realities, spiritual realities that you could ever receive is the fact that you are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. You don't wait until you die to go to heaven because in spiritually you're already there. You don't wait to die to get eternal life. Jesus says those who believe on me have already passed from death to life. And why? Because life, eternal life is knowing God. It's knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent John 17, three. So what that means is that when you know God, you have heaven already. What's up, family, and welcome back to another episode of Dimensions with Jeffrey Golden. This podcast is all about us having in-depth conversations about the things of God so that we can grow both in the knowledge of God and in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And today I'm riding solo, but we're going to talk about something that I think is extremely important. How do we enter into the throne room of God, right? You know, it sounds like a deep question. I mean, I guess it is a deep question, um, but I think it's really important that as believers, um, we understand what it means to enter, to dwell in, um, and to live with God where he abides, right? We want God to dwell with us. You know, we want God to be in our space, but as much as we want God to dwell in our space, he wants us to dwell in his space. And so that's what we're talking about today, how to enter into the throne room of God. And so we're talking about the presence of God. We're talking about how do we know when we're in the presence of God, right? Is it, you know, is it just goosebumps? You know, is it, is it something that we feel? Is it, is it some kind of, you know, special experience that we have? How do we know when we're in the throne room? How do we know when, when we're in his presence? So we're going to dig into all of that today. All right. So this is where I want to start family. And I think it's the place where we should always start. God's word. You know what I'm saying? His word is his truth, right? And so if you want to know something about God, you start in the word, you know, and, 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 and I know that there are folks who ask questions like, well, how do we know, you know, we can trust the 66 books of the Bible? Ain't there lost books? You know, they left out books and all that stuff. Actually, no. And that's not really our topic today. But I do think it's important that we understand why we can trust God's word, right? First of all, the Bible did not just fall out of the sky. Right. And so we call it God's word, not because God just, you know, spoke to one person and said, I want you to write all these words and here's my word to the people. No. So the Bible became the Bible because it was God's word, not to individuals, but to the community of God's people. So God's word is what God speaks to all of us, not just to one individual or another. And so when we read scripture, we are reading things that God has been speaking to communities really over the span of, I think it's 1100, if not 1200 years that these 66 books of the Bible were written by, I think at least 30 or 40 different people over a millennium, right? And so God, was speaking to different communities, but ultimately he was revealing who he was. And by the, you know, once we get to the book of Revelation, it becomes very clear what we have these 66 books for is to tell the story of Jesus Christ, who is God, who became man, who is savior, who is Lord, who is shepherd, but who was also king. And that's why I want us to really dig into today what it means for God to be king, what it means for Jesus to be king. Because if there's a throne room, 
there's got to be one who sits on the throne. How often do you think about the fact that God is king, right? Yes, he's a friend. You know what I'm saying? Bridge over troubled water. Y'all know what the old folk would say, you know, water when I'm thirsty, you know, bread when I'm hungry. He's my provider, Jehovah Jireh, all of that, right? It's true. He's my savior. He went to the cross. He died for me. You know what I'm saying? Got up on the third day for me. All that is real. All of that is true. All of that is legitimate. But I would venture to say that the image in scripture that we find of God and that we find of Jesus Christ, the son of God, that we ought to probably be giving the most attention to is the fact that he is king. And not just any king, not just any political ruler, not just any governmental entity. No, but he is king. Of all that exists. He's king of the universe. He's king over everything that is seen. He is king over everything that is unseen. Jesus Christ is the highest, greatest political ruler in all of the universe. He is king. He reigns. He sits on the throne. And that means something for the way that we live. It means something for the lives that we lead. It ought to mean something for our families. It ought to mean something for our churches, because if Jesus is king, then that means we are not. If Jesus is king, that means that depression is not. If Jesus is king, that means suicide is not. If Jesus is king, then poverty is not. If Jesus is king, then it means something very significant and very specific for where we are and where it is that we're going. And so I want to start in God's word. Um, to really discover his kingship and to discover what this throne room is, what this seat of his kingship is so that we can really discern and discover and really walk into the fullest expression of what it means to live and to reside with God as our king. I want to start in Isaiah chapter six. I think that Isaiah chapter six and y'all, I got my physical Bible today. All right. All right. So y'all know we're going to do some work. All right. Isaiah chapter six. OK, I want to read a few verses to you because y'all, I think this is like it's it's so powerful to me. This is what it says in the year that King Isaiah died. This is Isaiah the prophet talking in the year that King Isaiah died. I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. He says in the year that this earthly political leader died, I saw the one who reigns as the eternal political leader of the entire universe. None other than Yahweh God himself. I saw him sitting on a throne and I saw the train of his robe filling the temple. What that basically just means is that, okay, so, so in ancient times, when kings would go to war, when one king would defeat another king, they would cut off a piece of the defeated king's robe and they would sew it onto the robe of the king who got the victory. So when Isaiah says the train of his robe filled the temple, he's saying, I saw God high and exalted and I literally saw stories of Every victory, like victory after victory, triumph after triumph, I saw how victorious and how awesome and how high he really is and how much higher he is from every other entity, every other government, every other form or system. 
He's so much higher than that. He's so much greater than that. And then Isaiah goes on and he talks about how he sees angels who are literally declaring that God is holy, which just means that he's different. He's set apart. It means that there's nobody like him. Right. And so Isaiah begins to talk about this vision that he sees in the throne room of God. And the angels are crying that, you know, God is holy and he's the Lord almighty and that the whole earth is full of his glory. And so what we really glean from that passage of scripture is that the throne room reveals the preeminence of God. Preeminence meaning God's superiority. The fact that God is in first place. The throne room, first of all, reveals that God is first of all. That there's no one higher, that there's no one greater than him. And I know that that seems elementary, but I really want you to think about what it means for God to be first. Like for him to really be first, for him to be the most powerful. Do we really believe that he is? Or have we been so tossed and turned by the winds and waves of life? That we've neglected to see that there's a God who sits above the storm, who's greater than anything he allows us to go through. He's preeminent. He's first. He's higher. He's higher than the highest. He's greater than the greatest. He's king. What's up, family? Listen, I have some really exciting news to share with you. On April the 26th, 2024, I'm going to be releasing my brand new full length album. It's called Night Vision. Uh, we've been talking about the kingship of Jesus Christ here on the Dimensions podcast, but now I want you to have a soundtrack for it. I can't wait for you to hear this album for yourself. It's inspired by Daniel chapter seven, uh, where the prophet has a vision of the kingdoms and empires of the world, but then he sees God, the ancient of days, take his seat in the heavenly courtroom and he transfers the powers of the kingdoms and empires into the hands of one who looks like a son of man, one who we find out in the New Testament is none other than Jesus Christ. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And even in the darkness of our world, he is worthy of our worship. And that's what the Night Vision album is all about. So listen, put it in your calendar. Give yourself a, a, a reminder, uh, set an alarm, whatever you have to do, um, because I believe that on April 26th, God is going to give you Night Vision. There's another scripture in Revelation chapter four and five, where there's a different prophet named John and hundreds of years after this incident with Isaiah, but we see an echo, right? Because just like Isaiah heard angels crying, holy, 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 hundreds of years later, John in his vision of the throne room, he hears angels crying, holy, 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 but it's powerful how he got there. If you go to Revelation chapter four, John says that he heard a voice. Matter of fact, I'm going to read these verses. Verse one, he says, after this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after these things. And then he says, immediately I was in the spirit. And then he has a vision very similar to the vision that Isaiah has. He finds himself ascending into the throne room of God. And he learns about the holiness of God. He learns about the victory and the power of Jesus Christ in chapter five, who he sees looking as a lamb if it had 
it, it had been slain. But that lamb is also called a lion. Suffering and conquest mingled into one in the person of Jesus Christ. And I think that's an encouragement for us because some of us think that we've taken so many L's and you don't even realize that just like Jesus Christ, the lamb of God suffered, but is now victorious forever. So no matter what you've gone through, God has called you victorious in Christ. And so John has this vision in the throne room where, again, just like Isaiah, he sees that God is preeminent, that Christ is number one, that Jesus is superior. He surpasses all. And so that's the first thing we need to understand about the throne room of God is that it reveals the preeminence of God. It reveals the superiority of Jesus Christ. He's greater than everything you'll go through. He's greater than every other answer that you think you might find in other things. Jesus is greater. He's superior. But I think there's something else for us to learn about the throne room, not just in scripture, but also in Christian history. Y'all tracking with me? All right. So listen, from the second and third centuries, let's just go to seminary real quick. All right, y'all. The second and third century. So we're talking about the 100s and 200s AD, right? Very shortly after the time of Christ, churches, communities of Christ believers were already writing and literally passing on different prayers and forms of worship to each other. And one of those prayers or one of those liturgies, so to speak, was something that is now called in the Latin, the Sursum Corda which literally means lifted hearts or lift up your hearts. And now we actually see this form, this, this, this form of worship engagement. Many Roman Catholic churches, Eastern Orthodox churches, they still speak these, this, this particular liturgy. Again, that's called the Sursum Corda, lifted hearts. And literally it's, it's, it's very simple. The leader would say, lift up your hearts. And the people would respond, we lift them up to the Lord. Right now, we might hear those words today, lift up your hearts, and we might think that that is calling for us to encourage ourselves, right? It's calling for us to, hey, chin up. It's going to be okay. God got you. Lift up your hearts. Like, don't be disheartened. Like David says in the scripture that he says he encouraged himself in the Lord. That might be our natural inclination when we hear those words, lift up your hearts. But that's not what they're saying. That's not what our ancestors in the faith were saying saying, you know what they were saying? They were literally saying, take your mind, your consciousness, your thoughts, your emotions to where your spirit already is. You know what they were saying when they were saying, lift up your hearts. They were saying, you got to cause your mind to leave this earthly plane and to travel into the heavenly plane so that you can see reality for what it really is, man. Because the reality is the things that we see with our eyes are less real than things we can't see with our eyes. There is a reality that is deeper, family, than what you're seeing. There is a reality that's deeper than the diagnosis. There's a reality that's deeper than the financial struggle. There is a reality that's deeper than the fears of divorce. There's a reality that is deeper than even global pandemics and wars of a large scale. And that reality is that Christ is king. And so the believers were saying to one another, 
ascend, go into the heavenly places that you already have access to so you can see things for what they truly are. So you can see that Jesus still sits above the storm. So you can see that God is still preeminent. So you can see that he reigns. Yeah, lift up your hearts, ascend. Allow your consciousness, you know, in psychology, they talk about altered states of consciousness. And that sounds real deep. But when you go to a movie and you're really into that movie, right, you're experiencing an altered state of consciousness because when you're in that movie, you know, you're not thinking about everything you're going through. You're not thinking about your bills. Your, your mind and your heart literally enters into the world of whatever it is that you're watching. And do you all know that God encourages us to do that in worship? That when we begin to talk about the throne room, God is encouraging us to enter into his world, to come into his truth, to come into his reality. Right. And so while the scripture reveals the throne room as representing the preeminence of God, we see within Christian history, the throne room representing our participation with God. Right. You have a place in the heavenly places. You have a spot, you have a reserved seat in heaven. And so you don't just have to live on the plane of the earth, but you can actually live into your citizenship in heaven. Family, one of the, I think one of the deepest realities that you could ever receive. And y'all, again, this podcast is called Dimensions, all right? And so we're just going to go deeper and deeper in this thing. But I think one of the greatest realities, spiritual realities that you could ever receive is the fact that you are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. You don't wait until you die to go to heaven because in spiritually you're already there. You don't wait to die to get eternal life. Jesus says those who believe on me have already passed from death to life. And why? Because life, eternal life is knowing God. It's knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, John 17, 3. So what that means is that when you know God, you have heaven already. How do you enter the throne room of God? You recognize the preeminence of God, but then you also recognize and you live into the participation that God has already given you access to. How do you enter the throne room? It's not about working yourself up to some kind of spiritual ecstasy. Entering into the throne room of God is, you know, not about you being out of your mind or, you know, you get into a place where you've spoken in tongues for so long that you don't even know your left from your right. No. Entering the throne room of God is about recognizing that you're already there. So all you have to do is bring your mind into alignment with where your spirit already is in Christ Jesus. So the scriptures talk about the throne room and it reveals God's preeminence, the superiority of Christ. Christian history, as it talks about the throne room, shows us our participation with God in the heavenly places, as the scripture also reveals in Ephesians 2 verse 6. But I think there's another resource for us to really explore, and that's what how the throne room is expressed in our contemporary modern worship. Right. Because God, I believe God is moving and God is speaking 
even now through the songs that God continues to give us, even in our contemporary times. And I think that if you really were to look at modern worship songs as it talks about who God is as king and as it talks about his throne room, I think you'll see that it really shows and reveals that God's throne room represents not only God's preeminence and our participation with him, but also his presence with us. It's recognizing that, according to, I believe, it's Psalm 22, that God is enthroned upon our praises, which means that heaven comes to sit wherever God is glorified and praised. Whenever an atmosphere on earth mimics an atmosphere in heaven, the atmosphere on earth experiences heaven. If you want to see what heaven is seeing, You just got to do what heaven is doing. So when you begin to praise God, when you begin to worship Jesus Christ, when you begin to give God first place in your mind and in your heart, when you give him that throne, then you begin to see the throne room show up in your life. And what does it mean for the throne room to show up in your life? It means that you begin to see God. Just like the train of his robe filled the temple, you begin to see God's victories in your life. You begin to see God's God overcoming in your life. You begin to see the conquest of God in your life. You begin to see how God uh, moves and 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 how God makes crooked places straight and how God makes rough places plain. You begin to see that as you do what heaven is doing. And so, family, there's an invitation And it's what Jesus said to John, come up here, come up here, right? You don't have to work yourself into it. All you have to do is receive that in Christ, you already have access in Christ. You're already there. That's how you enter the throne room. You receive that Christ is king and that because Christ who is king died for you. And rose for you and ascended into heaven for you that you can now ascend and dwell in heavenly places with him. Family, I pray that this episode of the Dimensions podcast was a blessing to you. If it was, I'm going to ask that you leave a five star review and you share this with your folks, share with your networks. Let them know that over here at the Dimensions podcast, we are having in-depth, multidimensional conversations, ultimately to facilitate growth in the knowledge of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Until next time.